This project was independently produced by the team at Double Asterisk. We want to create a user-supported model for podcasts that doesn't rely on advertisers. So if you enjoy this series, please consider a small donation to our Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash double asterisk media. Thank you. You go out in the field? Yeah, I still, I still do. I, I, my, uh, I have two countries that I still kind of am in charge of mm-hmm. in, in the organization, China and Malaysia. And, you know, what I've found, especially in places like China, where increasingly there's a paranoia around collaboration. Mm-hmm. Science collaboration is open and transparent because of the nature of what you're trying to do. You're trying to discover stuff quickly, understand what it means, publish it in a high-impact journal, and that drives openness and transparency. So we're doing a couple of things, really. So one is around SARS. We focused on SARS coronavirus emerged from a wildlife market Mm -hmm. and was the first pandemic of this century. So it's a big event. So we... We started to trace back from the wildlife market which species carried the virus that came into those markets. We found that it was bats, not Mm. civets was the original idea. Right. right. So then we started looking, where did they come from? And we went out to southern China and did surveillance of bats across southern China. And we've now found, after, you know, six or seven years of doing this, um, over a hundred Mm. new SARS-related coronaviruses, very close to SARS. Some of them get into human cells in the lab. Um, Some of them can cause SARS disease in humanized mouse models and are uh, untreatable with uh, therapeutic Mm -hmm. monoclonals and you can't vaccinate against them with the vaccine. So these are a clear and present danger. We've even found people with antibodies in Yunnan to SARS-related coronaviruses. So there's a human exposure. Any one of those could become pandemic. But if you're saying these are diverse uh, coronaviruses and you can't vaccinate against them, there are no antivirals, what do we do? do? You can um, manipulate them in the lab pretty easily. It's just spike protein drives a lot of what happens with the coronavirus, uh, zoonotic risk. So you can get the sequence, you can build the protein, and we work with Ralph Barrick at UNC mm-hmm. to do this. Um, insert it into the backbone of another virus right. and do, do some work in the lab. So you can get more predictive when you find a sequence. You've got this okay. diversity. Now, the, the logical progression for vaccines is if you're going to develop a vaccine for SARS, mm-hmm. people are going to use um, you know, pandemic SARS is yeah, sure, sure. But let's try and insert some of these other yeah. related and, and get a better vaccine. And I guess also knowledge of what's there. If you see something emerging, it give it a head start on making yeah. a vaccine or a therapeutic. That's true. And and the word predict or the word you know the um, anticipating forecasting pandemics, it 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 doesn't mean you can stop. Them. That's the problem. This yeah. is- China, the city of Wuhan is still on lockdown with Americans trapped inside as the number of worldwide cases of in Italy has surged by 919 in a single day. That is more than scientist Tulio de Oliveira discovered the new variant after observing a dramatic acting as an accelerant to conspiracy theories. The digital era we live in came as the United States recorded more than 2,400 deaths. Death that has been reported from Brazil. And the third has come as the more contagious variant of COVID-19 infection. Today, the number of deaths recorded from COVID 
in the UK has passed on China show it likely play a role in the development of China. Study into the origins of COVID-19, they've concluded that it's unlikely it came from a Wuhan lab. I'm John Duffy, and this is Origins, Birth of a Pandemic, Part 3. The audio that you heard at the opening of this installment comes from the podcast This Week in Virology, and the guest who was speaking about working in China was Peter Dajak. Dajak is a zoologist, and he is head of the EcoHealth Alliance, which is a nonprofit group based out of New York City. The EcoHealth Alliance began as a conservation group, but over the years, they took on a heavy slant towards human health and pandemic prevention. Dajak, if you recall from part one of this series, spoke on Democracy Now! right as the COVID-19 pandemic had begun to swell in the United States. And he told the anchors that the idea that SARS-CoV-2 escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology was pure baloney. Dr. Jonathan Latham told us that Dajak's certainty on that program was partly responsible for his own curiosity as to the origins of the virus. It's interesting to note that Dajak suggests that working on collaborative science with Chinese partners leads to openness and transparency. Perhaps that is true on a case-by-case basis. But we have already seen how Dr. Shi Zheng Li renamed the closest known relative to SARS-CoV-2 in what Dr. Latham suggests could have been an attempt to obscure the history of the virus and its associations with the sick miners in Mojang. Dajak, for his part, has been working in cooperation with Dr. Shi Zhengli of the Wuhan Institute of Virology for years. Peter Dajak has been all over the media. He has been in the New York Times, he's been on NPR, he's been on the BBC, he's been on Democracy Now!, he's been interviewed by CNN. Everybody wants to know what Peter Daszak thinks of the origins, because he's an expert in the zoonotic origins of coronaviruses. But Peter Daszak is also the president of the EcoHealth Alliance. And the EcoHealth Alliance was the conduit for the money that was given by the NIH to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to do their bat collection and sometimes gain-of-function research. So Peter Daszak basically has a conflict of interest, right? So he is basically soliciting money from the U.S. government to give to Zhengli Shi at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So he is probably not the right person for the media to ask whether SARS-2 has a natural or a lab origin. He has been extremely vehement in telling anybody who will listen that SARS-2 no way came from a lab and that absolutely uh, it is a likely zoonotic origin. In part two of this series, we played a clip of Senator Rand Paul arguing with Dr. Anthony Fauci about gain-of-function research and whether or not the National Institutes of Health was funding that research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Dr. Fauci tried to insist that the NIH did not fund gain-of-function research in China, and Senator Paul accused him of, quote, parsing words, because the funding technically went to the EcoHealth Alliance, who then subcontracted the work at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I asked Dr. Latham 
how many grants had passed through the EcoHealth Alliance to the Wuhan Institute of Virology in this way. Four or five grants that have basically been organized to go to the web. And each one of those grants is worth between half a million and a million dollars. So there's a whole series of grants from the NIH to the, to the web. But also we know that there's an agency called the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. They're interested in the military dimensions of all these questions. They have funded Peter Daszak and the EcoHealth Alliance. And then the, the other major funder of the EcoHealth Alliance is the USAID. So they have been giving money for basically collecting coronaviruses around the world and other viruses that are also considered to be potential zoonotic outbreak threats. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this is that an institution like the EcoHealth Alliance can subsist on this mix of military money and public health money because gain-of-function research, which is considered to be a dual-use technology, so, so on the one hand, you've got the whole idea that if you can defend yourself against a zoonotic threat or a viral threat, but your enemy cannot, then you basically have an asymmetric weapon that you can use against invading forces. So this has been a pervasive thought in the military that to develop or use or study or find viruses especially, because viruses are hard to defend against. You can't just use an antibiotic. So especially to use viruses as a bioweapon. But equally they're interested in defending against those viruses. So they're interested in making vaccines and drug treatments. So you have a kind of a merging of the public health and the military interest in all these scenarios. So you have Zhengli Shi collaborating with the Chinese military and you have Peter Daszak collaborating with the American military and sometimes they write papers all together. There's no bright line that separates medical health research from the military research that we would probably all condemn as biowarfare research that is essentially in contravention of international treaties. Since Peter Daszak had stated emphatically to so many news outlets that the idea of SARS-CoV-2 escaping from the lab was highly unlikely, and he had been making rounds telling reporters that a zoonotic origin of the virus was the reasonable conclusion despite a lack of evidence to support this hypothesis, it seemed to increase in my mind the number of people who really had something at stake whose careers and reputations rested on the idea that a lab leak causing a global pandemic was nearly impossible. If it looks like the kind of research that they were doing, if that's the kind of research that led to the pandemic, then we need to rethink our approach to prevention and prediction. And that means reject the kind of approach that have been championed by people like Peter Daszak. You know, he's traveling the world at the moment to try to raise money for his global virome project, which is basically to get $1.2 billion to scoop up all the viruses in the world, all the Hindra viruses and Ebola viruses and all these different species of viruses, and then use that information to predict future outbreaks and to design treatments. Evidence of a lab outbreak would basically show is that 
That's the kind of research that leads to pandemics. If you go and find viruses, you know, if you leave them be, they may die out. If you go look for them, you may find your researchers infected with them, or you may infect people when you bring them back to the lab. You know, and they are representatives of, if you like, vaccine manufacturers and viral preventative manufacturers, people who make products like Remdesivir, and they are part of, you know, what you might call a pandemic virus industrial complex. You know, there's a whole set of business interests. The EcoHealth Alliance, they receive money from people like Reckitt Benkesa and Johnson & Johnson and the Gates Foundation, all these people who have interest in vaccines and in preventive treatments. And there's a whole industry out there that is basically relying on Peter Daszak and Zheng Li Shi being successful in their ventures, but also in explaining those to the public, right? Peter Daszak is not only bringing in all this money from governments, from businesses, from philanthropies to run this project, but he's also the front man. Aside from all the moral implications of being the people who funded the researchers who caused the pandemic or being the researchers who caused the pandemic, they are morally culpable, but also financially very involved. This morning, Dr. Anthony Fauci is shooting down theories that the coronavirus was man-made. He tells National Geographic everything about the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that this virus evolved in nature and then jumped species. Fauci added he does not believe another theory that the virus occurred naturally but was accidentally released into the public from a lab in China, telling Nat Geo that means it was in the wild to begin with. That's why I don't get what they're talking about. These statements from Dr. Fauci to National Geographic, dismissing then-President Trump and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's comments regarding the possibility of a lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, were made in May of 2020. In August of 2020, Peter Daszak would defend the Wuhan Institute of Virology, saying, quote, The fact that they published the sequence so quickly suggests to me that they weren't trying to cover up anything. This statement, of course, ignores the strange renaming of BT-CoV-4991 to RATG-13 by Dr. Shi Zhang Li in that same publication. Getting to the bottom of where SARS-CoV-2 came from would require an international investigation with full cooperation from the Chinese government. What we got instead is a delayed and stymied WHO investigation conducted by a team of researchers that wasn't on the ground in China and ready to work until February of 2021. A team of 10 international scientists is to travel to the Chinese city of Wuhan next month to investigate the origins of COVID-19. That's according to the World Health Organization. Beijing's been reluctant to agree to an independent inquiry and it's taken many months of negotiation for this access to be allowed. Wuhan, the first epicenter of COVID-19, is where the team's much-delayed mission will begin. But the WHO warns it could take some time to get answers. Researchers will spend two weeks in quarantine before visiting key sites of interest, like the Huanan Seafood Market, where the first outbreak was recorded. They will also interview people from research institutes and hospitals. There's hope that new information will help control fresh outbreaks in China and beyond. What wasn't regularly being mentioned in the media regarding the WHO team that traveled to China to investigate the origins of SARS-CoV-2 
is first, that the team itself had to be approved by the Chinese government, and second, that Peter Dajak was one of the people selected to be on that team. There are many critiques that a person could make. I mean, the conflicts of interest is uh, obviously a huge one, but also the WHO investigation was very, very slow to get going. The other issue is that the investigation seems to have entirely satisfied itself with secondhand information, relying on other people's data sets, other people's experiments, other people's interviews. It's not clear that any of them spoke Mandarin Chinese. A team of experts from the WHO on the ground in Wuhan this hour, and they have been there for a week looking for clues as to where exactly the virus came from. Why? Well, to make sure this never happens again. As for what the team will find, well, in large part, that depends on how much China lets them poke around. Peter Dajak did an interview with CNN from his hotel room in Wuhan. So it was good to see the lab, and it's an incredibly well-built, um, well-designed, well-managed lab. So we're looking at the animal evidence. You know, what was sold in the market? Where did it come from? Um, what types of, of animals are they, the ones that could carry coronaviruses? Do you think it's possible this virus was engineered within that lab and leaked? There's no evidence of that at all. But it is something that we talked about with people at the Wuhan lab and got really honest and frank and, and uh, good, informative answers to. Um, uh, because they themselves uh, brought this up. Conspiracies around lab leaks that they feel strongly um, have no grounds. To their credit, CNN did highlight that Dajak has a long-standing relationship with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and Dr. Shi Zhengli. Members of the scientific community have said that Dashak has a conflict of interest due to his close ties to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and its leading scientist, Shi Zhengli. By February 10th, 2021, the media was reporting the preliminary findings of the WHO investigation team, with headlines like NBC News's Unlikely that COVID came from Wuhan lab, WHO says. NBC interviewed the WHO team leader, Dr. Peter Emberic, and reported that, quote, the theory that the virus was introduced into the human population as a result of a lab accident did not warrant future study. Emberic said ongoing work into the origin of the virus points to bats as a possible natural reservoir for COVID-19. But since Wuhan is not a natural environment for the animal, it remains unclear how the virus was introduced into the city. WHO investigation team members would tell the media that they were not given access to raw data by the Chinese. And the Washington Post called the investigation's preliminary report a propaganda win for the Chinese. This is Gilles Demenouve again. First of all, it's not an inquiry, it's a study group. Secondly, it's not a WHO. It's a China WHO study group. And China uh, has got 50%, I would say, of the people on that team. And everything had to be validated by China. So you cannot write a single word which has not really been validated by China. Uh, so it's not exactly, you know, a bunch of, of Western or scientists who went there and... Uh, at an investigation. It's a mixed team who actually under very limited circumstances did a study group. That's it. They didn't have access to the data or very limited access to the data. Referring to the WHO investigation team, molecular biologist Richard Ebright 
would later tell Independent Science News that, quote, its members were willing, and in at least one case, enthusiastic participants in disinformation. The pre-negotiated terms of reference for the WHO study did not even acknowledge the possibility of a laboratory origin of the virus and did not even mention the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Before leaving China, Peter Daszak had taken to his Twitter account to say, quote, Please don't rely too much on U.S. intel, increasingly disengaged under Trump, and frankly, wrong on many aspects. And again, Daszak was interviewed by CNN. Let's get straight to Wuhan then and Dr. Peter Daszak. I'd like to begin with that idea of the virus spreading initially through frozen food. That does match up with a narrative offered by the Chinese government that has been widely disputed by other scientists. Can you help us understand why you think it may have unfolded like that? Well, we're talking about something very different right now than, um, you know, a package of um, frozen fish from somewhere else in the world. We're talking about the origins of SARS-CoV-2, the COVID outbreak, in a, in a market in Wuhan, the likely center of it, the early spreading of that outbreak. And what we see there when we visit that market is a place that sold a lot of frozen products, not just the typical things we would buy in the supermarket, but also frozen animal products from animal farms in Southeast Asia and inside China. And also that the supply chains come from places um, in China where we know the SARS coronavirus 2 related viruses are. In other words, a direct link from the potential bat origins of this virus, which most scientists believe is true, into Wuhan market. Now, scientists in China tested those carcasses and they were negative. So that's good. But we don't know what else was there. And we don't know how many of these animals were part of that frozen market or even other types of meat. So, you know, to many of us on the team, it was a, um, a clear clue as to what may have happened. Peter Dajak's continued attempts to suggest that a lab leak origin of SARS-CoV-2 was very unlikely seemed out of line with the evidence. And his suggestion that perhaps the virus made its way into Wuhan in some sort of frozen food seemed like quite a stretch. You know, the classic reason for the SARS-1 outbreak was that people in Guangdong, which is in the southwest of China, they like to eat exotic animals. And so there was a trade in civets. In the case of Hubei and Wuhan, which is in central China, there is not any explanation of why the nearest known relative, RATG13, which comes from the Mojang mine, which is in Yunnan, which is in southwest China, you know, it's the same distance as New York to Florida. And what's really interesting is that there have been a set of new genomes of very closely related viruses. So since the outbreak, virologists have been searching either in their freezers or in the wild for the most closely related viruses that they can find. And what these researchers have found is that there is a separate group, like a subspecies of viruses that are closely related to SARS-2. And the farthest one away is found in Japan. And, uh, but there have been a collection, some found in Cambodia, some in Thailand. And the closer you get to Yunnan, and the closer you get to the Mojang mine, the more like SARS-2 they are. So what that says is the ancestors to this virus and the SARS-2 virus 
They basically came from close to the Mojang mine. China's proposed frozen food hypothesis, which the World Health Organization investigation has uh, taken seriously for some reason that's slightly mystifying to some of us. The proposition of that thesis is that the virus came in frozen food from another country. And so the ultimate source of the SARS-2 is not actually China, but it's contradicted by the new geographical data about the origins of these viruses. The SARS-2 virus came from Yunnan, and even inside Yunnan, it came from somewhere close to the Mojang mine. I asked Mr. Demenuv if he hoped a new investigation would be established. There is already an investigation. We've been doing drastically doing one for a long time. <laughs> it certainly has raised many more important information than a little guided tour of, you know, a propaganda museum in Wuhan and a, a, a few labs where they spent three hours. While Mr. Demenuv was confident in the work he and his fellow members of Drastic were doing, Dr. Alina Chan, who you heard in the first installment of this series, would go on with 17 other scientists to sign an open letter to the journal Science, stating that a more thorough investigation of the origins of SARS-CoV-2 be undertaken, and that this investigation needed to be unbiased and needed to equally consider the possibility that the virus leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Ralph Barrick, the highly regarded coronavirus expert working out of the University of North Carolina, who worked in concert with Dr. Shi Zheng Li on gain-of-function research with the SARS-1 virus, he also was a signatory to that letter. For the most part, most academics have completely ignored the whole origins debate, if they possibly can, and avoided commenting on our theory or any of the other theories. Interestingly, today's letter in science is one of the very few acknowledgements by the people who would be associated with the scientific establishment that there even is such a thing as a coronavirus origin theory that is not a zoonotic theory. What has really hurt the sciences is people jumping to conclusion to see that whatever you say, you're basically lumped into some kind of conspiracy theorist basket. Personally, you know, I've been working on this for many months, but 15 months, and I do not have a definite opinion. I would say, yeah, maybe 70% max that it's uh, a lab leak. I spend my time looking at both sides. We're not just people with thin art looking at this. Okay, forget the noise of everybody jumping around it with their own cranky theories. That's fine. But beyond that, there's some very serious people showing that there are issues in your official discussion. In the spring of 2021, with vaccines for SARS-CoV-2 readily available across the U.S. and increasingly the world, the political trends shifted, and more and more members of the media and academia were willing to speak out on the possibility of a lab leak origin for the pandemic and on the need to fully investigate this possibility. It probably didn't hurt that Donald Trump was no longer president, which outlets such as New York Magazine noted as well, in their May 24th piece, how the liberal media dismissed the lab leak theory and smeared its supporters, in which they state, quote, the charge that the virus began in a lab and China was covering it up was never clearly false. Yet many media reports treated this aspect with the same skepticism as Trump's other lies on the subject, often blending different aspects of these claims together. 
This was crazy talk, heresy. Facebook and social media were soon censoring anyone who dared even suggest the virus came from a Chinese biotech lab. Now, a year later, Facebook and all the lefties have done a massive handbrake U-turn, and what was yesterday's conspiracy theory is now perfectly feasible and highly likely. We learn that this same Dr. Fauci, back in 2017, without telling the president, actually lifted the US ban on what is called gain-of-function research. Dr. Anthony Fauci faced more criticism from the conservative end of the political establishment in the United States for his earlier comments disparaging the possibility of a lab origin of SARS-CoV-2. This is Senator Marco Rubio addressing Dr. Fauci during a hearing. All these facts were available to us last May, last April. Why, I'll start with Dr. Fauci. Why, why did you dismiss the lab leak theory as, as credible? I didn't dismiss anything. I just said it's a high likelihood that this is a natural occurrence from the environment of an animal reservoir that we have not yet identified. What is the basis for the conclusion that it is likelier to have been naturally occurring than a lab accident? Is it not true that they are equally likely? What is it that we're basing the higher likelihood of naturally occurring? Is it simply because that's all we've ever seen in the past? Well, we have historical experience that happened with SARS-CoV-1. It happened with MERS. It happened with HIV. It happened with virtually all the influenza pandemics. So the historical basis for pandemics evolving naturally from an animal reservoir is extremely strong. And it's for that reason that we felt that something similar like this has a much higher likelihood. But going back to precedent, the, the precedents require them to be similar. The difference between this one and that one is, in, as I said, four months we knew the host for SARS, nine months we knew the host for MERS. China has all the incentive in the world to produce this host and hasn't done so. And then you add up all these other things. I mean, is it just a coincidence that happened in the city that's doing this kind of research, which by the way is controversial. I know you and others have been supportive of it, but but it's controversial. It's not widely accepted as, as, as good. My whole point is there are people out there who had Facebook posts taken down, were called kooks, conspiracy theorists, for saying publicly a year ago what we now say may be possible. And I think those people deserve an apology at a minimum. In May of 2021, News broke that U.S. intelligence was able to identify that staff members of the Wuhan Institute of Virology not only became ill in November of 2019, but that they were hospitalized. A new report in the Wall Street Journal has added fuel to a theory over where the coronavirus came from. On Sunday, the newspaper cited a previously undisclosed U.S. intelligence report. They say three researchers from China's Wuhan Institute of Virology got sick and sought hospital care in November 2019. Debate as to the origins of the virus began even before the health crisis became a global one. The Trump White House asserted that it escaped from Wuhan's virus lab. Beijing has consistently denied this. In response to Sunday's article, China's foreign ministry called the news hype from the U.S. and accused it of trying to divert attention. For their part, the Chinese government continued to promote the idea that the virus originated in a country other than their own. Even rather preposterously, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson suggested that a U.S. military laboratory in Fort Detrick, Maryland, should be investigated as the source. Then... On June 2, 2021, the U.S. Senate passed a bill 
co-sponsored by Senators Hawley and Braun, requiring the Biden administration declassify intelligence regarding links between the Wuhan Institute of Virology and SARS-CoV-2. Here is Senator Hawley on the floor. The Senator from Missouri. Mr. President, the American people can be trusted with truth. More than that, the American people deserve the truth. They deserve to know the true origins of this virus. They deserve to be able to evaluate the evidence for themselves. They deserve it, their government owes it to them, and it's time to act. And the American people deserve something else. They deserve to have this government hold accountable. That nation which started this virus, whose lies about this virus turned it into a global pandemic, whose lies about this virus prevented our country and many others from being able to address it effectively in time. Of course, I'm talking about China. The American people deserve to have all of the evidence and deserve to have this government's full effort and the effort of our allies and partners in holding accountable China for what it has done, not just to this country, but to the world, and to make sure that something like this never happens again. And so, Mr. President, I ask now unanimous consent that the Senate proceed to the immediate consideration of S. 1867, which is at the desk. The clerk will report. I, I thank the Senate for this action tonight. This is, as Senator Braun said, an important first step. It's only a first step, but the truth is always the right step. And that's the action that we've taken tonight. I yield the floor. The Biden administration has kept an open mind to the possibility of a lab origin of SARS-CoV-2 and has continually commented on the need for a full investigation. President Biden has ordered a review of intelligence about where the COVID-19 outbreak originated from. It follows renewed speculation in America that the virus leaked from a laboratory in the city of Wuhan. For more than a year, the theory that the virus leaked from this Wuhan laboratory has largely been dismissed as a conspiracy. The theory's association with Donald Trump made it, for many, just one more piece of disinformation. But in the mouth of President Biden, well, that feels different, and suddenly the world's media are taking it seriously. As of the writing of this show, there is still no conclusion, one way or the other, as to exactly where SARS-CoV-2 came from. Hopefully, in weighing the evidence, we can all be rational actors and see that suggestions of an accidental lab leak as the genesis of the COVID-19 pandemic aren't fringe conspiracy theories, as was claimed by so many in early 2020. If, in fact, it is determined that SARS-CoV-2 escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, is this a win for Donald Trump and his supporters? Personally, I would say that, if anything, it's more of a loss for the mainstream media, who refuse to cover the issue seriously, and for the general public, who relies on them for information. Further, if the lab leak hypothesis proves true, those who have been warning about the dangers of gain-of-function research, people like Mark Lipsitch and the other members of the Cambridge Working Group, need to be taken seriously. Efforts like Peter Dajak's Global Virome Project, which touts itself as working to end the pandemic era, need to be examined with cautious scrutiny. But beyond that, hopefully, calls for accountability on the part of China remain reasonable, and we do not create another political deadlock regarding how to move forward. So many in the media and government 
are only now in the middle of 2021 beginning to take seriously the possibility that SARS-CoV-2 leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, largely due to political biases. Fearing that truth will strengthen your domestic political rivals is never a reason to hide from the truth, or worse, to hide it from others. Now as we move closer to understanding the origins of SARS-CoV-2, we cannot allow these political biases to drive us towards an irrational or overly aggressive response towards China. If it is in fact the case that SARS-CoV-2 escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Chinese Communist Party has exerted effort to hide that fact, there should be a global call for accountability, but it should not be in a form that punishes the Chinese people themselves. As the pandemic enters its dying phase, we cannot allow it to birth a new global conflict. Thanks for listening to Origins, Birth of a Pandemic. Origins was written, reported, and edited by me, John Duffy. Our producer was Ray Novoshelsky. Field audio recording by Kristen Turo. Original score by Zachary Walter. Origins was an independent project by Double Asterisk and is kept ad-free by listeners like you. Please consider a donation to our Patreon account by visiting patreon.com forward slash double asterisk media. Follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at asterisk underscore double.